the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Good evening and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I'm your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And I'm joined in the studio once again, of course, with the producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. Another good evening. How are you, Rebecca? I am. I think I'm doing a little bit better than you are. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's ping pong. I think I'm playing this uh, cough and virus with a lot of different people. I know. Yeah. I know. We always talk about this in Minnesota, don't we? But yep. It's that time of year. It's just the way it is <laughs> when we live here. Yes, it is. Well, we're going to jump right in here. Uh, for much of our nation's existence, public schools uh, incorporated a key goal of the First Amendment to create an informed citizenry capable of self-governance and political debate. And according to the 1967 Supreme Court case, Kiyishian versus the Board of Education, the classroom is peculiarly the marketplace of ideas. The nation's future depends upon leaders trained through wide exposure to that robust exchange of ideas, which discovers truth out of a multitude of tongues rather than through any kind of authoritative selection. And today, however, one doesn't have to look far to see that there is a violent attack against the free exchange of ideas from the college campus sites where conservative speakers are kicked off of campus before you can even enter it, all the way into the public square, where across the country we're seeing commemorative statues and symbols of American historical events and figures that are being torn to the ground. So what gives with all of this? I know, I know. And this is the amazing thing, is that 2019 marks the 70th anniversary of George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, Mm -hmm. in which the main character works for the Ministry of Truth in a one-party socialist state. Now, Mm -hmm. the Ministry of Truth, however, does not promote truth as we know it, but instead rewrites history to conform to party doctrine. (laughs) Sound familiar? Ahead of his time. (laughs) Yes. Very prophetic. Yes. And Orwell understood how elites can manipulate history for propaganda purposes. Well, unfortunately, Minnesota is not immune to having the names of popular landmarks changed as well, or the history surrounding those landmarks rewritten. In fact, our guest tonight tells us there is an aggressive push to replace our traditional self-understanding as the land of freedom and opportunity with a vision of America that is an illegitimate nation that advanced by trampling Mm. on victim Mm. groups. Such a shame. Well, joining us in studio to shed light on this very serious topic is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a writer and an attorney. She's a senior policy fellow at Center of the American Experiment. She was a founding director of the center and served as its chair from 1996 to 98. 
Catherine has written on cultural and policy issues for a variety of publications, including The Wall Street Journal, The Weekly Standard, Christianity Today, Policy Review, First Things, and The Star Tribune. And for two years, she served as a regular commentator for National Public Radio's All Things Considered. She earned a BA from Notre Dame, a master's from Yale, and a Juris Doctorate from the University of Minnesota Law School. Catherine has been a regular guest on Education Nation, and we're so honored to welcome her back on again tonight. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Yes. So, Catherine, how did Orwell, a socialist, a man of the left, understand how elites would be able to manipulate history for propaganda purposes? Well, he uh, was very familiar with uh, the authoritarian movements of his time. Uh, The book was published in 1949, so you can imagine what he had seen Mm -hmm. in both the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. He was was very concerned uh, about the political forces that he saw at work there. Mm -hmm. And when he wrote, what did he say was the most effective way to destroy people? Well, he said it it is to get them to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their own history. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, very familiar. This is what we're not just beginning to see. This has actually been a trend that we've been seeing in American education for a while. Um, It's just becoming more blatant. Mm -hmm. Um, With Orwell being a socialist, why do you think he decided to alert the West to these dangers? I know you said he just obviously had watched Nazi Germany and what have you, but... Um, as a socialist, as a socialist, it's still kind of interesting. I think that he yeah, would call well, draw draw an alarm on this. Sure. Well, he was a socialist, but he was not at all an authoritarian, mm. and uh, he was very suspicious of elites with power, uh, mm-hmm. especially elites who claim to know better uh, than the ordinary person mm-hmm. uh, what is right and what is good for a nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is good. You know, the left's aim uh, to reshape Americans' perception of their history, uh, we know it's well underway in our nation's K-12 through schools, and uh, we've talked about this quite a bit on the program. And in fact, Catherine, you've conducted much research and interviewed many over the concerns of education that's being reshaped in the Edina public schools. I know we've uh, Mm -hmm. had many shows with Mm -hmm. you on that. But for our listeners who may not be familiar um, what has taken place there over the decade. Uh, would you just for a few moments just summarize some of the major changes to the district's curriculum that have sought to advance this notion of America, uh, you know, basically this illegitimate nation because of the perception it has advanced by trampling on victims groups? Yes, and, and uh, of course what's happening there is happening in many other yes. uh, districts mm-hmm. to, to some good extent. Uh, well, um, in 2013, the Dinah School District adopted what they called the All for All Plan, and that entails looking at everything in the district, uh, you know, hiring and curriculum, uh, outside activities, et cetera, through what they called the, quote, limbs of racial equity. And, of course, equity in that sense does not mean equal treatment. It's mm-hmm. commonsensical, meaning um, it means basically um, focusing on white privilege mm-hmm. and the idea that anything that uh, minority groups might struggle with is a result of implicit bias on the part of white people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was pretty shocking what was happening there. And, and if listeners would like to know more about that, they can go back and listen to some of our podcasts with you, Catherine. Yes, we at nationmn.org. Yes, 
as Mark said, we covered that pretty extensively. Yeah. Yeah. Well, over the last... Well, I could say oh, a bit more if you'd like me to. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Maybe just, just to make sure that our listeners are a little bit more up to date on, on sure. that. Because like you say, this isn't just uh, Edina where this has been happening. We actually had Aaron Benner on and they talked about St. Paul oh, schools. Right. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, this is happening really nationwide. This isn't even limited just to the Twin Cities. Yeah. And this is where you really see the ideas um being for spread to kids when you look at the curriculum. So, right. for example, Edina had a mandatory 10th grade and still does, to my knowledge, a, a mandatory 10th grade English course for all students. And it had four. It, the teacher who put it in place uh, was very anxious uh, that white ch- kids should have racial awakening experiences mm-hmm. and understand their privilege, etc. So there, there were are four. There were, and I assume still are, four uh, kinds of themes that that you see in this course. First of all, social construction of race, class, and gender, mm-hmm. immigration, um, colonization, and uh, humanity in the face of destruction. Mm. Wow. Uh, for, for teachers, for lunch ladies, you know, principals, etc., implicit bias training, so-called cultural competency training. And the focus of all of them is, is a white supremacy, mm-hmm. sort of down with white supremacy. People must understand and confess their privilege. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think mm-hmm. in the racial justice training, too, there's a, a history lesson in there that's entitled The Invention of the White Race, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, that that was uh, that was something, as I recall, that was used um, in some of the, uh, the the equity, so-called equity training yes. for mm-hmm. for employees. But yeah, as if the, the white race had been you know, invented. Right. In, yeah. Which yeah. is in and of itself kind of an arrogant thought. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. <laughs> that we could invent a race. Yeah. Well, over the last couple of years, protesters have physically torn down statues and symbols across the country and American figures such as Teddy Roosevelt and founding fathers Thomas Jefferson and George Washington have come under attack as well. And in Minnesota here, you write that the left-wing officials have recently launched campaigns to rename three high-profile landmarks. And what are those landmarks, uh, Catherine, and what strategies are officials employing? The landmarks uh, are Lake Calhoun, mm-hmm. and uh, which, of course, is the sort of premier lake in in Minneapolis. Yeah. Yes, uh, the ju- the jewel we could say mm-hmm. of the Minneapolis lakes. Uh, for sure. Fort Snelling, for which the Minneapolis uh, Minnesota Historical Society wants to rename Fort Snelling at Badoti, mm-hmm. supposedly the Dakota name for the site, and then four buildings at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the strategy employed uh, and, and what Orwell would recognize, mm-hmm. um, I, I would say two, really. First, uh, the rewriting of history we see mm-hmm. in connection with this movement, and then the disregard for democratic processes and the rule of law mm-hmm. in, in the way that this is done. Right, right. And we're going to get into that a little bit Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you were listening to Education Nation here on AM 1280, The Patriot. Our guest again is Catherine Kirsten. As we discuss the changing of the name, the rewriting of history, and the redefining of politics for propaganda purposes, and we're about to take a look at some of those 
name changes and mm-hmm. uh, history rewritings that are taking place amongst some of Minnesota's more popular landmarks. Mm-hmm. And in fact, let's discuss the renaming of Lake Calhoun uh, to uh, Bidet Makaska. Now, you know, where does Correct. this name come from and what does it mean and why did the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board launch this campaign to have Lake Calhoun renamed? Well, this is allegedly um, the original or an original uh, Dakota place name for the lake. In fact, it is essentially a, a historically undocumented name. Uh, there, there's another name that is historically documented, which is uh, Hayata Made, which means inland lake. But in terms of why the uh, park board decided to do this, uh, the park board claimed that the lake uh, being named after John C. Calhoun who was uh, an advocate for slavery, that uh, that it should not be named for him, that this uh, basically serves as an endorsement for slavery today. Mm-hmm. And With- that, 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 the, the, that um, white settlers uh, stole the land from the Dakota people and therefore, in that sense, should be uh, should be named uh, for the Dakota people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was that was their position. Okay, right. I think too, if I remember correctly, in reading, wasn't uh, Calhoun being recognized for his contributions as um, I want to say War Secretary for President Monroe? Is is that correct? Well, that's 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 the truth. I yes. mean, that's why he, it was named for him. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. he sure. didn't live here, but he he was named. The lake was named for him because. Uh, not because he was an advocate of slavery, right. but because he was the Secretary of War for President Monroe. Back at the time, the fort was built, and the fort's construction started in 1820. Yes. It was his idea to found a chain of forts, uh, of which Fort Snelling was one, uh, to to protect America's northern frontier against British influence from Canada. Right. This was shortly after uh, the War of 1812, and the British were remained a threat in the north of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to talk some more about um, the war at the turn of the century and also the, the founding of Fort Snelling. But before we do that, you know, with the lake's name change, it's important to draw, I think, our attention back to something that you had written in regards to one of Orwell's key insights. And this really stuck out to me as I was reading your article. And you had written, in order to gain the power to restructure a society, those with authoritarian rather ambitions must delegitimize what came before so as to reshape a people's view of who they are and where they came from. One right. way this is done is by discrediting our political and social institutions and instead assert their own super commitment to social justice. So if you could, just to maybe explain for our listeners what the current state law says about changing a lake name and how the city park board went about disregarding the law. Sure, sure. So um, state law says that only the legislature can change the uh, the name of a lake that's been in use for more than 40 years. Mm-hmm. But uh, given the political composition of the state legislature, uh, currently and at that time, um, the, uh, the park board chair... Uh, believe that that kind of effort might well not be successful at the legislature. Presumably he did because they didn't do that. Um, instead, the board petitioned the Hennepin County Board to pass a resolution asking the State Department of Natural Resources mm. to change the lake's name. 
So it doesn't matter what the law is. We're just going to try to do things just, just our own the way. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And once again, we're seeing this happening all over nationwide, too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The disregarded. So all these different signs that you talked about that Orwell shared, you know, back in 1949, uh, we're, we're seeing them happen all over again here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mark. Well, um, after the lake was renamed in 2018, what transpired between nearby residents uh, to the lake in the Minneapolis Park Board Chair? Well, uh, the nearby residents uh, were not pleased, and they sued uh, the uh, to, to uh, insist that the law be followed. And uh, in April 2018, uh, the Minnesota Court of Appeals did in fact rule that the DNR commissioner did not have legal authority to rename the lake. And as a result, um, uh, the DNR appealed uh, that decision to the Minnesota Supreme Court. And I would just add here, I have talked with people who uh, know individuals who uh, whose homes are located uh, on Lake Calhoun or on these parkways around it. And uh, they have said that this could only be done in a neighborhood where there were a lot of people of, of real wealth because it is extremely expensive. They have to now change their, right. their, um, all their land documents, their passports, et cetera. It's a nightmare. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I did not yeah, know their that. Their foreign certificates, their you know, land registrations, their deeds, their mortgages, all that. Wow. And just from a on service. The, on the, yeah. the parkways. The parkways yeah. were, were also renamed and legitimately, and maybe the park board or whoever it was who rena- had the authority to, to rename the parkways, the four parkways around the lake. Wow. And it, that's it, what they're called now, you know, East Bidet Makoska Parkway. Mm. Mm. And just from a service perspective, I think I saw on the news this week, too, that, um, you know, it's not appearing up on GPSs, the change. Oh. And then also in terms of, like, food delivery and other services to the home. <laughs> I There's just a real headache for people to receive yeah. services. Yeah. 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 So much for your Christmas presents from Amazon. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They'll finally just drop them off at the beach and say, okay, just pick them up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Collection point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, earlier we had discussed uh, the park board stance on why the need for the rename, uh, according to them. But many may not be aware of the fact that the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board's understanding of Lake Calhoun's history has come under scrutiny. Um, If you could share with our listeners the various misrepresentations the public officials involved have shown, as you termed in your article, a scandalous disregard for historical truth. Yes. Well, I think I already mentioned that Mm -hmm. the name Makoska is, of course, historically undocumented, unsubstantiated name. Um, the, the, then there, most interestingly, is the issue that's really the, the kind of crux of this dispute, and that is slavery. So we couldn't have Calhoun's name on the lake, right, because he mm-hmm. endorsed slavery strongly. But um, in fact, the Indians uh, themselves, the Dakota, enslaved people. They enslaved other Indians. They mm-hmm. enslaved whites. They kept in warfare, and some of these people were adopted, but some were killed and some were sold or traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they themselves held slaves. And then, of course, there's this notion that Bradbourne and others repeated uh, that the Dakota, quote, stole the land from, uh, I'm sorry, that the whites had stolen the land from the Dakota. But in fact, the Dakota stole the land from other Indian tribes. 
sometime after 1700 when they were driven by the Ojibwe people from their original uh, homeland uh, of, uh, of near Balax. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Dakota didn't pay the Ojibwe, the Iowa, uh, the Oto, or other tribes, but they killed them and they took their land. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. government uh, did peacefully purchase the land and, and they negotiated treaties with the Dakota leaders. So uh, there's hypocrisy there right. on the part of the park board folks. Which again ties into the original motive to be able to just basically rewrite history the way you want to. And what's convenient, because the fact that they didn't choose the name, the original name of Lake Calhoun, inner, what did you say? It means inner lake or something like that? Um, Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. And and I'm sure that that didn't fit their narrative. So they had to pick a different name. And it seems that that's the, rather than acknowledging that we lived in an era that was um, at that, or we didn't live in the era, but there was a time when both sides did not treat each other well. Um, why yeah. Why not recognize that that was a time that we can look back on with regret and know that we've come a long ways now, and rather than right. trying to select uh, right. one right. a winner versus a loser, it's only because it fits their narrative for today. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the danger, of course, of that when you begin to scrub and rewrite is that you don't know who this figure was who existed, you know, Mm -hmm. hundreds of years ago. And there are no lessons then to be learned from the wonderful things that were done. And then the things that were not, not Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have an understanding of our history, then we run the chance, unfortunately, of repeating it. Absolutely. And which is why I don't mean to get too far off on a tangent here, but as an educator myself, um, running Liberty mm-hmm. Classical Academy, um, it is appalling to me how history has been so removed from a, in a widespread fashion from schools across America. And then where it is taught so often, it is a version of history. It's written by yep. authors who choose to um, kind of paint things in, in a particular light. And that's one of the things I love about the classical method is that we rely on primary documents. Yes. And that right, way, right. you know, you, you can't have some author rewriting it for you. But very few kids, I mean, over nationwide, you know, there's not that many kids receiving that kind of education. And it does exactly. bode, it's concerning for the future. Yeah. And, and before we move on to the next point, I, I just want to touch again a little bit on the U.S. government's treatment of the Dakota uh, during this time. From what I understand, I mean, the government, in many respects, was very protecting, especially of the women and children, to protect them from any retribution from the Ojibwe. Is that not correct? Um, yes. Uh, if you might be speaking in in terms of um, uh, Fort Snelling, although uh, Lake Calhoun was was uh, definitely um, in the ambit of Fort Snelling. Yes. Uh, but if the the Indian agents um, who were at the fort or near the fort um, did supply the Dakota people with um, useful items like traps and guns and knives and axes that that helped them survive and often gave them food and tobacco. And uh, between 1820 and 31, the U.S. sponsored more than uh, 200 peace councils between the uh, Dakota and the Ojibwe who were real, real enemies. Mm-hmm. I, and it, it, in terms of Lake Calhoun, uh, right around that time, uh, the Indians had a, had a small settlement there. 
And of course, uh, with uh, the changes that were coming, it was harder for them to to use their hunter gatherer uh, traditional way of life mm-hmm. you know, and live by by killing uh, by hunting. Mm-hmm. So there was an attempt to help them develop advanced agriculture. And that was at a village that already existed at Lake Calhoun. And the U.S. government supported them strongly in that effort, in that mm. experiment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is something, of course, that is not ever being recognized. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, when you right. think of that 200 peace councils, councils in how many years did you say? Uh, it was like 10 or 11. 10, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of attempts to right. assist to broker peace, to, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in regards to uh, Lake Calhoun here, in opposition uh, to the court's decision, Brad Bourne, you had mentioned his name earlier, from the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board, mm-hmm. he had stated, quote, regardless of the court's decision, the lake had been called Bidet Makasaka for generations before white settlers stole it from the Dakota and will yeah. continue for generations to come. Now, not trying to make an assumption here, but I'm really curious about this. I mean, knowing otherwise from the factual record, I mean, one way or another, do you sense, I mean, whether the board is acting out of this complete ignorance, or do you believe that there has been a deliberate sabotage of the truth? Oh, well, you know, the 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 reason this has happened is that there is a group of activist Native Americans yeah. who have promoted this, the park board, to my knowledge, or I, I have to surmise, listened to them and not to others. I, sure. I personally know people who attempted to get a more accurate history to them, and uh, they dominated the, uh, the committees where, where this was discussed. And uh, who knows? But uh, sure. uh, if you choose only to listen to, to one group who are very self-interested, uh, you're probably not going to be getting the full Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, I, I would imagine if you're sitting on the park board and you are a person that really is legitimately trying to be honoring, um, I'm, I'm sure, too, when you only hear from one side and they are so pre- high pressure. And these yeah. days to even suggest that maybe there's another side, they could very yes. quickly be painted in a very negative light. No question. Racists and bigots. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And, and they certainly were. Yeah, which that then, is people who raised who raised questions about it, right? Which then brings you back to our very opening yes. statement about the Supreme Court case in 1967, yes. saying right. the, the classroom. And I mean, you know, we're not talking about a classroom here, but it's it's the marketplace of ideas, and mm-hmm. and the idea back even in 1967 was that we need to have all sides uh, looked at, and here um, we've we've come to a point now where to even yeah breathe the thought that there could be another version of the events um, that is inconsistent with their their view you're painted as a bigot Mm -hmm. it's really really calling us intended to shut down conversation yeah yeah and it's worked successfully well we're we're really excited because we're going to be able to continue this conversation next week with Catherine kirsten and we're going to discuss the two other landmarks Mm -hmm. uh, that she addressed in her article uh, that are up for 
uh, name change and a, a rewriting of history, and this would uh, pertain to the events surrounding Fort Stelling and its construction in the mm -hmm. 19th century, and then also uh, some activity that went on at the University of Minnesota during the 20th century with some accusations and allegations of anti-Semitism and names being uh, potentially removed from uh, some of the more uh, prestigious buildings on the campus, mm -hmm. and we'll definitely discuss that next week as yeah. well. Yeah, sounds good. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us in, on uh, by phone tonight, and we look forward to having you back next week. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for As always. all of your work. Glad your voice held up for that our show That cough drop, tonight. that was the trick. There right you there. go, yep. there you go. And if you would like to listen to this podcast or any other podcast, go to ednationmn.org, ednationmn.org. And we look forward to seeing you next week.